Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is sustainable frozen e-commerce fulfillment with Kathy Hayward-Hughes and Mike Bradbird. How's it going, Mike? How's it going, Kathy? Hey, it's going great, Joe. Thanks for having us today. Excellent. Yes, thank you. So I should tell you guys, I ran across Mike and Kathy's company, Crystal Creek Logistics. Over the summer, I have somebody had asked me, could I help them out with frozen e-commerce fulfillment? They wanted to move ice cream. And I said, oh, yeah, I should be able to direct you to somebody. I didn't realize how hard that was. So what started off is just kind of, I'll make a few phone calls, ended up being make, I'll make a lot of phone calls. And so I met Mike that way. And that was how we came together. And they do some very interesting work over Crystal Creek, but we'll, we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a minute. And they also do some interesting things with sustainability, which if you listen to this podcast, you know, that's becoming more and more of a focus of the industry. So before we get started, Kathy, please introduce yourself and your company. And then we'll hear from you, Mike. Hi, I'm Kathy Hebert Hughes, and I'm the president of Crystal Creek Logistics. Mike and I started the company together about 13 years ago, and my background is in frozen seafood. I was born and raised in Alaska and grew up on processing ships and eventually found my way down to smoked salmon and working for catalog companies and eventually into frozen fulfillment. So it's been an interesting journey. But I feel like where we are today is a very, very exciting place. Oh, definitely. Mike, what's your background? Uh, well, I grew up in Bellingham, Washington. I graduated from college at Western Washington University, and, and I found my way into the seafood business. Uh, I think I was in that business probably well, nearly 20 years, which gave me a, a reasonably good background in the concept of frozen shipping and that. And so... Yeah, I've done a, a number of things over the years, but I've thankfully found my way to Crystal Creek. And since we started this, it's been a very fun and very viable business for us. Right. So how many locations do you guys have and where are your locations? That's relevant to our conversation as we come up here. So tell us about your locations. Well, we have five locations. The first one that we opened was in Ferndale, Washington, which was a good location for seafood because it comes out of Alaska. Then later we opened a facility in Hastings, Nebraska, center of the country, which is really great for getting packages out three day to any place in the U.S. Then in Richmond, Virginia, in order to cover the East Coast. And then more recently, we opened in Reno, Nevada, and our last one was in Memphis, Tennessee. Yeah, so the reason that's important, and we get, we'll get into this as we get into the conversation, is that you're talking about frozen e-commerce fulfillment, you're talking about dry ice, you're talking about how do we keep that stuff cold from your facility all the way until it gets to somebody's house, and that means it can't travel for a week, so you need those locations. It, yeah, and, and I've had people talk about frozen e-commerce fulfillment in the past, and they say, yeah, I have a fulfillment center in New Jersey. And you're like, that's great as long as you want to sell on the East Coast only, but you can't expand beyond that because your stuff won't be frozen. It will be, rather than frozen, it will be soggy or thawed, right? 
Right. A number of our clients will have their own fulfillment in one side or the other of the country, and they come to us to fulfill the other side. And eventually, the whole volume rolls over to us because it's just kind of nice to take the distraction of shipping out of the formula for them. But it definitely saves a tremendous amount of money and complexity by being in more than one location. So Mike, Kathy, please talk about the problems associated with frozen e-commerce fulfillment. Well, I think that most people are overwhelmed by the idea of all that's involved. They have to, these people want to sell their product, but they have also now got to put on another hat, go searching for a box that'll fit their products. They've got to find a reliable, affordable source for dry ice and or gel packs. They've got to learn how to layer their items into the box somehow some version of Tetris, I think, to, to pack that box. They've got to buy tape to tape the box closed. They've got to also put dunnage in there, uh, packing material. They've got to learn how to print labels. They've got to, you know, run to the local post office or the UPS store or create a relationship with a carrier like UPS or FedEx and, and the like. And to most people, that's a daunting thing when, you know, their goal is to get their products that they've created and out to their customers. And, and so, we solve that problem. We provide them with a cost-effective and innovative solution to that problem. They can minimize and mitigate their capital expenditures. They have much less infrastructure by making use of our company like ours. We have the facility. We have the freezers. We have the dry space. We have the, a number of warehouses, as Kathy mentioned. And we have an order manager system and warehouse manager system that ideally will resolve a lot of their issues and it allows them to, to enter their orders into a system. And, and from there, we take it and pick the orders and print the orders and ship them out. So when people start doing frozen e-commerce fulfillment, that implies that it's going direct to consumer. Do you also move, when you're moving frozen food, do you also move it to stores or restaurants too? Sure. Yeah, we aren't particular about where we're moving it to. It's just a bit of a different pack up because usually it's higher volume and it may end up being LTL or full truckload or something like that. But certainly we ship pretty much whatever, wherever. It's just that we specialize in frozen foods and, and we tend to specialize in direct to consumer because that's that's kind of the one that needs the special touch. That needs the attention. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, you know, if I was a frozen food, uh, let's just say I was making frozen pizzas, there are making pizzas I wanted to ship them across the country. In the olden days, not so long ago, I had to find retail locations. And then if I found one, I would ship by truckload or LTL or if I could find the right one. And I would be sending pallets. Well, now the challenge is if I was selling those same pizzas and I wanted to do it, it'd be I'd probably start with e-commerce. And that's a lot more challenging because I'm sending to somebody's home. So talk about that for a minute. Right. Yeah, that's definitely more challenging because you're sending it to someone's home and there's a price point that you're going to have to meet. So you really need to carefully put the whole package together in order to be certain that it's something that will sell. Another piece of what we do there is we do sales orders. So I may have developed a pizza that I think will be a real good seller in retail, but it's pretty challenging to get that frozen product out to each of the retail stores to be able to sell it and get placement in the stores. And so what we were able to do is send packages on to the store location. So when the salesperson shows up at the store, the package is there, it's frozen, it's ready, and all they have to do is present. So that can really help to build your sales through bricks and mortar retail. 
I noticed, and since the people I was talking to over the summer were selling some frozen like ice cream product, and one of the things I noticed is, you know, I looked at Ben and Jerry's. If you want to buy Ben and Jerry's online, you can, but I think it's a minimum of five whatever pints because otherwise the shipping cost would be higher than the product cost. And I was like, oh, this is a challenging deal. So do you guys bump into that sometimes? We have to educate uh, our clients at the beginning, oftentimes, you know, selling shipping ones or onesie twosies, single items and all that. Yeah. When the cost of shipping outweighs the cost of the product, oftentimes they, that's when you get the highest rate of shopping cart abandonment also. And so there's an economy of scale. The more you can ship to them without overloading their freezer, there's a fine line, but you want to get the order volume up as high as you can. And, and oftentimes if you get it to a certain benchmark, then that online seller can offer free shipping. And so there's all kinds of incentives to have a higher order volume, the economics of it, of which are pretty important. Am I right to say this? I think this is what I, just from my looking online at a number of ice cream, like salt and straw out Portland way, they really push the idea of selling like, you got to buy five minimum, five pints. And when you buy that, they raise the price of the product to, because no one wants to buy $30 worth of ice cream and spend $60 on shipping costs. So if you kind of raise the price of the product and say, yep, I got to you know subsidize the uh, shipping cost because no one, people might buy $60 worth of product and $30 worth of shipping, but not the other way around. Am I correct to say that? It's certainly a careful formula. It may be what fits into the best size box with the best size block of ice. So, you know, it may be five, it may be four, because four might pack a little bit more squarely in the box so that you know that you've got one box going out with one block of ice and so on and so forth. But yes, you're you're trying to build as much of the shipping into the cost of the product as possible. And that's why it's um, so important to have multiple facilities so that you can get as close to the consumer as possible, therefore reducing the amount of ice in the package and allowing for the least expensive shipping. So, you know, if we can get close to the consumer, we can ship most of our products via ground transportation. And that, of course, cuts the cost of shipping considerably. Right. Yeah. When you're air freighting frozen food with that dry ice, I got to think it gets really expensive really quick and no one's going to want to buy that product. Yeah, we do everything we can to mitigate the uh, shipping of any order by air. Yeah, 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 it makes sense. So that's why you guys, so, and again, I think the very best frozen e-commerce fulfillment companies have to have these locations that basically put you in one or two days from basically the whole population or 90 some percent of the population in the U.S., am I correct? Absolutely. And it depends on what the products are. Some products like ice cream are not very tolerant of uh, time in transit and any kind of temperature fluctuations. Some products like uh, hams are, are much more tolerant and can handle longer time in transit. So depending on what kinds of products you're shipping, it's going to change how many warehouses you need. It also tends to vary based on what kind of inventory you have. Like if you have, if you have a, a lot of new items that are constantly changing and being developed, it's nice to be in fewer warehouses because your inventory control is less challenging. But as you get your products developed and they're this and they're always this and they always come from this supplier, then you can break out into more and more warehouses and therefore reduce the cost of your shipping. 
So are there a lot of, and this is kind of, I have two questions here regarding both small shippers and maybe larger. Are there a lot of larger people who've traditionally sold retail that are now all of a sudden saying, I need to sell to direct consumer? Is that some segment of your customer base? Well, it's just, it's referred to as multi-channel selling. They just opened up more doors, more opportunities for them to market their products. And a lot of times if an item can be found in a retail environment, it's not as easily sold direct to consumer world. But if they, they, you know, they usually try to present it differently. They'll bundle it. They don't try to compare pricing in the retail market with what you can buy online. It's you're buying a variety pack or a six pack or something like that. And they don't take the time to think about what the pricing difference might be. But most people, they like the idea of having something delivered to their home. And particularly with COVID, we've seen that people are becoming much more comfortable buying online. The, the people that were once on the fence have made that jump and now they're bona fide buyers online. So the industry itself is just, you know, is growing right now. And so the concept of buying online and that is becoming more and more viable and more and more accepted. Yeah. I remember when I first reached out to you, Mike, and I think via LinkedIn and said, I have a somebody who's looking for frozen e-commerce fulfillment. You were like, we're not, this is over the summer. I remember you saying, we're not taking any new business. And I think I talked to three or four other frozen e-commerce fulfillment companies that said, nope, <laughs> the end's full right now. And I was thinking, boy, COVID really hit hard here. And is that still the case? Are you guys still booming because of the COVID? Yeah, we're, we're still growing. Now we're in a race to expand our facilities and our capabilities so that we can keep the pace. And I think that the industry is in its infancy. There are a lot of companies that feel that they absolutely have to at least get their toe in the water and start shipping something direct to consumer because the bricks and mortar retail may not be the main form of purchasing in the future. So they don't want to miss out on learning how to move into this new area. Selling direct to consumer is a much slower startup and it's the numbers kind of pale in comparison to, you know, truckloads of products going to distributors. So you need to, you kind of need the time to do the slow build up. But COVID has changed that considerably where there's been a spotlight on direct consumer and people who have never ordered frozen foods or foods online before, people who have never ordered online before, are starting to see the appeal of it. So, of course, we're hit pretty hard with the increase in orders, in many cases, tremendous increases in orders. And yes, they've stayed, but I think it's just a rapid advancement of something that was already happening. Right. You know, there's another thing that I, I think this probably impacts and is going to continue to impact the food market in general and probably your business specifically is when I was growing up, I'm in my 50s. We just ate the food mom put on the table, right? It was not, uh, it was nothing usually specialty. It was never vegan. We didn't know what that was. It might have been organic, but likely not, right? It was just low grade grub, right? It didn't really matter. And then I think of my kids in their 20s. I have two daughters and they order tons of stuff online that is like specialty food. One of them's always been a vegetarian and both of them <laughs> like vegan stuff, organic stuff. And that's not always available at their local stores. So they ordered online and they don't give it a second thought. I would very rarely see myself wanting to order something online, but I see a generational shift here. I'm a baby boomer and I might not live forever is what I've come to understand. <laughs> <Shocking>. <laughs> 
there's a lot of people that can, via the internet, find their way to a diet that fits their particular needs and that. And, and you can put together a pretty good program with some of these online sellers to get exactly what it is that meets your needs relative to your, if you want a keto diet, if you want a paleo diet, and all the various other options and iterations. And you can tailor things specifically for your needs. And, you know, if you can do that without having to go to the store and go down every single aisle to find that particular item or those items, you've solved a, a great deal of time issues. And there's all kinds of reasons to spend your time ordering online. Yeah. And I think, I think also, you know, for, I think most brands are feeling this. There's a, there's a raised expectation. If I want something and I don't find it at my local store, I think, oh, that's fine. I'll just go on Amazon and buy it or I'll go, you know, to their website and buy it. That's the expectation. I would never think that's no longer available here. That's that, that would never enter into my mind. So uh, all, all, anybody who's selling food has to realize now, I'm sure they do, that we have to make, we have to make it available in all channels. So let me ask a question. So this is, let's just say I start, give you a hypothetical. I started an ice cream cake company. You know, those really good ice cream cakes <laughs> that, that uh, you would die for. Um, and I want to sell that. And I'm here in Michigan. Um, and let's just say I'm selling it to some local retail locations here. Now I want to start selling it across the nation. And I reach out to you guys and say, I have some retail and I have, you know, a little bit of fulfillment going on. How do I grow that? I mean, with you guys, I'm, I, do I just send you inventory and you move it to all your locations? How's, how's that work? Part of our process, when we work with a prospective client, we try to get a read on what they're all about besides their products. We want to make sure it's a good fit for them and a good fit for us. We want to understand as much as we can what their marketing plan looks like. We found that if they have a good understanding of social media, working with brand ambassadors, aka influencers, what used to be called bloggers. That seems to be an incredibly effective tool to drive people to their site. But having a good understanding of, you know, how to put your product on Facebook, Pinterest, and all these things. And that kind of helps complete the profile. Uh, it tells us that this person not only has a good product, but they also understand how they're going to generate sales. And so it's the sum total of a number of these little features that we look for when talking with, uh, having an initial conversation with the client. So you're more concerned. I think this is a little different than the average 3PL relationship in that you guys probably have seen enough things that didn't work <laughs> and things that did work where you say, hey, guys, this isn't quite ready for prime time. Maybe the cost of shipping or the nature of your product doesn't lend itself to profitable growth. And there are products that just won't work and we try to save them the grief. What are those products? I'm just curious. What's your, I, I, know, I know there's no absolutes, but what is some of your experiences? Generally, it's products that are of lower value and that are a little larger, like toilet paper, kind of a rough one. If the product is a little heavier or denser and higher in value, that generally is going to be a better candidate for this type of shipping. Okay. So is the nature of, I mean, when you're putting dry ice on this stuff to make, keep it cold while it's traveling, doesn't that add a lot more cost than the average e-commerce fulfillment shipment? Oh, definitely. Yeah. The dry ice adds costs. And, and then the time in transit add, is sort of what determines how much cost there is there. So if the product is going to go one day, then the dry ice cost isn't tremendous. But if it's going to go for three or four days, then you're going to put a lot more ice in there. 
So getting back to my frozen ice cream cake, have you guys moved stuff like that? Would it have to be, so would I have to sell that for 50 bucks to make it worthwhile? Probably. Because I've seen some guys online on YouTube and stuff where they say, hey, look, you got to raise the price of your frozen cakes. And the reason is because the cost is high to keep it frozen, right? I think you have to raise the value of your offering. So you do that by maybe offering two cakes. The cakes are going to arrive frozen and so they'll hold fine and you can have one now and you can have one in a couple of months or improve tomorrow. Or improve the ingredients in your cake. So it's something that you can't traditionally get someplace else. A lot of the good sales come from products that people seek out. So, you know, speaking to your children, if it's a vegan cake, then I'm looking for vegan products. And, you know, it's my vegan friend's birthday. I want to get her something that's really terrific. That has an audience and people will look for a product like that. And then they'll pay, you know, they'll pay the premium. They'll pay the premium because they can't find it at their local grocery store. And they, right. they want something that has a story around it, something that right. can turn food into a celebration. Right. It's that experience that we hear so much about. And I think that's always the challenge when you're sending something in a package is how do I have that experience mean something? And I want to talk about this in a minute. We're going to talk about sustainability. And one of the things that drives me crazy and I think drives you guys crazy is when you do get some e-commerce stuff and the packaging. But before we get there is, so let's just say I, I do have this ice cream cake and you guys say that's a viable thing because I have this big following and my cakes are the best in the world. If I start working with you, do I ship my frozen cake, uh, make my cakes, I'm frozen here in Michigan and come wintertime, everything's frozen here. I now ship those to one of your locations in Washington or Nebraska or Virginia. How does this work? I mean, how do you guys manage my inventory from, I have inventory here, but how do I get it where it needs to go? Well, before we even get that far, we go through a vetting process. We take a look at a customer. We take a look at those cakes. We take a look at the packaging and make sure it can hold up. We found instances where we've helped people that have had it like prepared meals. And we've discovered before we got too far down the road that those plastic trays that they had weren't able to withstand the extreme cold of the dry ice and they would fracture and break all over. So (laughs) we've done a lot of preemptive things to help that client before they even got started. So we're very meticulous about the process leading up to that moment where we do actually ship. But after we do kind of have that agreement that you say, hey, well, you've got my packaging right, you think it's viable, then how do I manage the inventory? How do you guys help me manage my inventory to get it to your fulfillment centers? How do I know where to ship it? Well, you work with one of our customer account managers, and the account manager has been involved in the whole startup of the account, so they know about your packaging and they know about your product. They have a a good idea of who your customer is and where they're located, and between the account manager and you, you figure out what would be the best location for the product, whether it would be one location, two, or as many as five locations, depending on how mature your product is and how many changes are going to happen and whether you have, you know, one skew or 7,000. So it's a little easier to, to manage inventory on that one cake that you have than it is when there are many and when they're being made by an artisan who only puts out a certain amount of cakes every day. So we have to understand all the parts and pieces of this 
operation in order to choose the locations. Right. So it's quite a process. And again, this is a lot different than just I'm going to drop off a pallet of, say, a, a product that doesn't require to be frozen. There's the bars a little lower, but when it's frozen, it seems like the bar is much higher. So let's switch gears for a second. So the name of this podcast is Sustainable Frozen E-Commerce Fulfillment. So speak for a minute about what is sustainability. So we want to be able to leave no trace of us. So we, we want to make sure that what we do in our operations are good for our planet. So we have put a great deal of energy into our packaging to make sure that our packaging is biodegradable or recyclable, that we have systems in place to assist our clients, customers in understanding and disposing of packaging that we buy as local and close to our facilities as possible so that we can support our local communities and also reduce the footprint. We have wind power that we use to, through offsets to nice. fuel our <laughs> facilities. Just the list is very, very long. We recycle like crazy, we repurpose, we reuse, we practice sustainable technologies, sustainable architecture, even sustainable workforce. Right. I like the idea, and we just had a podcast on this, and I'm doing more and more podcasts on sustainability. And I've just, the last one was sustainability is a competitive advantage. And I can say this to anyone listening to uh, this podcast, if you're in the transfer, if you're 3PL, at some point, very soon, one of the big brands you work with is going to say, tell us about your sustainability. And you're either going to have already in the, been on that journey, began that process, or you're not. They can't fake it. You can't add two PowerPoint slides saying all your sustainability stuff if it's not there. And the way I always look at sustainability is rather than managing, measuring just your profit at the end of the year, you're measuring your impact on people and planet. And the consumers are buying that way. The big brands are already making adjustments that way. And it's just a matter of time before the big supply chain that you support says, tell me about your sustainability. You guys are already, you've made an investment and you've made this trip already. I mean, I know it's never ending, but when did you start that? And why did you start this kind of this move to sustainability? We've always wanted to be, uh, to walk that walk and, and practice sustainability. We had done it since our inception. We had recycled. And then all of a sudden we came upon what we are. Now we have a certification of being a B corporation. That's allowed us to measure and quantify all of our efforts. And that has been one of the single biggest measuring sticks for our efforts towards sustainability. So what is a B Corp? Well, B Corp is business is a good citizen. It's a certification that looks at all of your processes, many, many points of the process and rates you on those things. The thing that's great about it is that every year you're recertified or every two years you're recertified. So you always have something that you're intending to work on. You have to get 80 points in order to be able to become a B Corp, which is not easy to do, <laughs> I can say from experience. But then beyond that, you want to grow. So because the certification is only two years apart, it's pretty easy to say, okay, so these are the next two things that I'm going to focus on as you go along and continue to improve your processes, You know, whether it be a lower carbon footprint or being more involved in local philanthropy. Yep. If I could add something. So we just did this podcast with Justin Golston, and I know I, you guys, I introduced you to him. And 
one of the things that I think, you know, for most people listening to this podcast who have not begun this, it's important just to begin, just start measuring one thing, <laughs> measure empty miles, measure something. And I think what you'll find out is if when you begin that process of measuring is that most of the stuff that we already do in transportation logistics is good for sustainability. We don't like emptied miles. Empty miles are a waste, right? Mm-hmm. It's also costly. So if we can get rid of empty miles, we're getting rid of the pollution that those empty miles caused. Plus, we're getting rid of the cost associated with it. So there's a lot of things that we're already doing that lends itself to being sustainable. And we just maybe don't realize that we're doing it. <laughs> right. We see our processes being, you know, really kind of an interesting way of doing things. Because if you think about the customer who buys some frozen meat at the grocery store, they get in their car and they drive down to the grocery store. Maybe that's four miles away. They buy a couple of bags of groceries and the car is empty other than the couple of bags of groceries. They go home. And so there's, you know, all that energy use in the grocery store. The product goes out to the grocery store and it's held there. But the lots of product are split apart into thousands of grocery stores. And so you have products that move more quickly and less quickly in grocery stores. And then you have products that expire. And those products have to be moved out of the grocery store into, you know, some other environment because, right. because they don't sell through. In our world, we work off of generally one lot at a time and it goes out to everywhere. So you can very quickly turn those lots and so you have fresher products let's say, it goes out of our facility in a completely full truck because, you know, we fill up truckloads as they leave the facility and they go into hubs and are formulated together and then they go out to delivery in full trucks and they deliver to the consumer in a full truckload. And so the difference in the energy usage is really kind of amazing. Right, right. Yeah, you know, it, there's so many places. And I think you would speak also to your facilities. I know when we're talking about sustainability, you guys talk quite a bit about like low flow and energy efficient, low flow faucets and the energy efficient things you're doing in your facilities. Talk a little bit about that. And not only why it's good for the environment, but how it benefits you as a business. Yeah, it's just kind of a way of life. It's the way we think about things. And we try to introduce all of our new shipping specialists to this way of life and help them understand why it's so important. So we changed out, you know, all of our faucets in our facilities. We have solar panels in some facilities. We have motion activated lights. You know, we don't leave, lights aren't left on unnecessarily. We try to be mindful of all those things. So So what's nice about that is it's it's obviously helping the planet because we're not using that energy, but it's also reduces your costs, which makes it easier for you to make a profit. So you can be that good citizen that you want to be. And we have, you know, really cool developed recycling programs where we take our stretch wrap and have it condensed and then we uh, bring it over to the decking people to make decking out of it. You know, these things, we don't make any money or save any money off of that, but it's a way of life. It's, It's a way of helping everyone see that what we do in our world is important and impactful. And when you right. do it on a larger and larger scale, it is quite impactful. Yep. Trying to minimize what goes into the landfill. 
Yeah, and I think also, you know, ideally, if this all works the way it's supposed to, you're going to find like-minded customers who say, I'm going to them. And so hopefully this turns into something valuable business-wise. Because, you know, I think the nature of uh, sustainability is we've got to make a profit still. So if you say we did all these wonderful things for the environment, all these wonderful things for people, but we lost uh, so much money that we had to close, well, the company that replaces you might not do that stuff, right? So we have to still be mindful of, making a profit. And I think, in fact, I know you're probably getting customers who say, I'm coming to you because I like that you're sustainable. I like that you're a B Corp. More and more. Yeah, that recognition is growing. And it's wonderful to partner with like-minded people in so many ways. Yeah, I bought a Patagonia fleece recently, and I have a few. And I like the idea of buying through Patagonia just because they are one of those B Corp companies. They spend a lot of time and effort working on sustainability. So there are people who are making purchases based on how you treat the environment, how you treat the world. Oh, and I think more and more people are moving in that direction. We find that many of our clients come to us because of the way we behave. And, right. you know, it's it all kind of rolls up into how we treat our people. And the whole, if your employees are treated well and they love their jobs and they feel valued and you have excellent communication, then they understand what they're doing for a living. They understand that they're professionals and that they're responsible for something extremely important. And that is to get the product to the end consumer in the best possible condition so that the end consumer can enjoy, you know, the value of what they spent. And then it just keeps rolling around like a snowball. There you go. So this is great stuff. Mike, could you give us a few bullet points here on summarizing or maybe final thoughts on this? And then I want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing over at Crystal Creek. Well, we feel that we're in an industry that has, like Kathy said earlier, it's uh, in its infancy stage, and we feel blessed to be part of that. We feel that the path that we've chosen has worked to our benefit. We've been careful. We've been meticulous and methodical. We haven't chosen to grow at breakneck speed so as to keep our clients happy. We put a great deal of emphasis on uh, the service that we offer, and it seems to separate us from the pack. We're going to continue to grow. We're going to continue. Oftentimes, as the company grows, they lose sight of the principles, their guiding principles that allow them to get to where they are. It's critical to us to ensure that we keep our principles, our philosophies, and our culture in mind as we grow. And so, yeah, we're very deliberate in our growth, and we want to make sure that every client we have is the most important client. And we choose a path of making sure we have a happy workforce, which more than anything leads to a happy customer because. The two go hand in hand, in our opinion. Yep. So how does somebody reach out to Crystal Creek Logistics? Tell us your website and all that. Well, our, our website is www.crystalcreeklogistics.com. We have a contact center. We have a number of people on staff to answer questions for in, people that are curious about what we do. And we encourage them to call us or reach out to us at any time. Excellent. Excellent. So I'll put a link to both of your LinkedIn profiles and I'll put a link to your website. And so if anyone wants to reach out and you can, you guys have locations again in Washington state, Nevada, Nebraska, Virginia, and Tennessee. Correct. So you guys hit what? 90% of the population in the U S in one day or is 95 or what is it? What's the percent? Well, it's more like probably 95% of the U.S. population, contiguous U.S. by two-day crown shipping, Joe. Nice, nice, which is important when you're in that frozen business. So 
Kathy, Mike, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about your company and talk about e-commerce fulfillment and sustainability and B Corps. It's been our pleasure, Joe. Thanks, Joe. It was great talking with you. Thank you both. And thanks to everyone who listened to the podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversations with experts in the logistics field. If you're an expert and would like to be featured on the Logistics of Logistics podcast, please email Joe Lynch at joe at the logisticsoflogistics.com. 